We're still looking for that one book that all five of us go, that's amazing. It's like, it's like a unicorn or, or a Sasquatch. Welcome to Keep It Fictional, a weekly podcast for book lovers by book lovers. Build your to-be-read list with Sadie, Liz, Virginia, Fiona, and Kareen from the Port Moody Public Library. Warning, this podcast contains strong opinions and may cause an increase in your library holds list. Hello, everybody, and hello, dear readers. Welcome back to Keep It Fictional, a show about books by book lovers, brought to you by the Port Moody Public Library. Now, today we're going to talk about a topic that is near and dear to some of our hearts, not quite so dear or near to some of our other hearts, but we do have some great picks for you regardless of our personal opinions. Now, today we'll be talking about novellas. Now, everybody knows what a novella is, right? A short novel. I think we can all agree, more or less. However, when we define what a short novel is, I'm not sure if we can all agree on that. If you do a little bit of Googling about what a novella is, you'll find that they're described as shorter than most novels, but longer than most short stories. Some, if pressed to more clearly define what a novella is, will say it is a work that is between 100 and 200 pages. So even though I profess to love novellas, I'm not really sure that I can even clearly define what it is for you. But regardless, like I said, we do definitely all have strong opinions about what novellas are. Isn't that right, lovely panel? With myself, Liz, we have Fiona and Sadie and Corrine and Virginia. All right, so usually if you are familiar with our show, you'll know that amidst all the talk about our great book selections, we do have deep diving questions about our topic. Now today's question I know will generate a lot of talk, so please try and keep it brief as the novella is also a brief format. Now regarding the novella, do you reach for novellas on occasion? If so, when? Is there a time that you feel that choosing a novella is inappropriate for your reading tastes or your reading habits? Corrine, care to share? Yes, I do have feelings about novellas. I've got feelings about everything. So I will admit, I'm not a huge novella person, was never a novella person. I'm like, if you're going to write something, you might as well write a book. Just keep going. Just keep going. However, I have to say, uh, last year during the pandemic, my attention span was absolutely, like, shot. And so novellas kind of, like, helped me out because it was, like, a complete book. So I felt like I was accomplishing something. And, you know, I got some story and some characters. I will admit that I am always dissatisfied by novellas, no matter how good they are, because they could be books. They could always be books. But I have really enjoyed some very specific novellas and they are um, the Tor novellas that they have been putting out by some like amazing science fiction and fantasy writers. So that is what I have reached for. And I do not believe that novellas are cheating in any way, except that they should be books. I I would argue that they are books, but anyways, moving on, uh, Sadie, you're a voice of reason. What do you think? (laughs) (laughs) 
I started reading novellas as attached to other book series. It was kind of my in for novellas. And I loved them because for a series that I absolutely loved, I'd read every single one of the books in the series. It allowed me to continue exploring this, the world and being with the characters that I loved so much. But they they just kind of like filled in these little gaps, which I really appreciated. Uh, so that's how I started reading novellas. To be completely honest, the novella that I read for today's episode, I think is the first novella that I've read that it was not attached to another series. So I, pretty much my entire experience with novellas is that kind of putting them into other places, uh, filling in the gaps, staying in the world uh, with other series, which because of that and because I enjoyed those worlds, I quite liked novellas in that sense. Yeah, I don't know if I necessarily think that all novellas need to be regular sized books. I know because I do think that you can tell a story in that amount of time. You can maybe not to the full extent of you can as a novel, but sometimes novels are too long. I, I, I don't agree that the ideal page count is under 300 pages. I know we talked about that last week and I don't agree with that, but I do think that sometimes novels can be too long and include details and include information that are not necessary for the story, are not necessary for the character development. And so I think that on the opposite side of that, a novella can accomplish something similar without the page count. Thank you, Sadie. So a bit of a contradictory point of view, which is one of the great things about Keep It Fictional, different tastes, different opinions. How about you, Virginia? Well, Corinne, I am completely on your side. Definitely novella can always be longer. And you're right. Like, I think you said the same thing. You know, 114 pages is too long for any bad book. That's true. That is absolutely true. But give you a good book, you can always be longer because we as readers love to be there with your characters. Give us more. We can spend all our lives with you and we are happy to do so. So do make them as long as you like because we will be there because we love you. We love all your characters. I also don't really reach for novella for any particular reason other than the fact that it's a interesting author or interesting premise, just like any other book. So I don't pick it because it's a novella. I never read it because of it. I feel like all our books are probably Tor.com books today. I feel like maybe they have amazing authors that they introduce to us through these novellae. Um, you know, a lot of like authors from all around the world um, and and just such a diverse list of stories and, and speculative fiction. So because of that, and because I do read those, um, that, those genres, so I do kind of have to read novella every now and then if I want to read them. <laughs> but that's really kind of the only reason um, that, you know, not because it's a novella or not. Yeah, I don't know. I, I definitely think they could be longer. They could be longer. And I think Corinne has a really good point the other day, too, is that just for the author, so writing novella, who feel like you can just write a novella but not a novel, just think of it as three different novella and just put them all together and sell to us as one. Then we have a novel, but in your mind, you're writing three different novellas. So win-win for all, I think. So, yes. So if any authors are out there, uh, especially the ones who are writing for Tor, uh, please do keep in mind that uh, although we're librarians, we're not writers. We are making a crap request on how you should be writing your books. Thank you very much. <laughs> Fiona, what do you think about the novella? 
I uh, think that Sadie put it really well. I'm definitely a fan of the novella. Something I reach for when um, maybe I'm in a bit of a rut. You know, they're really high satisfaction for a little amount of work. And that's what I love. <laughs> but actually, when I think back, some of like the most impactful books I have read have been novellas. And so many things that I read in high school that stayed with me, uh, like Animal Farm. Yeah, no, I just, I appreciate sparseness and like really knowing what you're doing with a book. And I feel like that's what a novella does. It's like, I've got 100 pages, 150 pages. I'm just gonna get this out there and no filler. You're right, Kriona. Like if, if it is a good writer, like it does take skills to be able to write a good novella because you need to be able to express all of that in a tiny package. And especially I think for like a, a fantasy, you know, in my mind, like there's so much world building involved. If you can accomplish that in a very small package, then that's, you know, props to you. That's great. We just want more. That's all. We just want yeah. more. And that's the thing with like doing a novella as a fantasy is that so much of the interest in fantasy is that world building, right? Mm -hmm. And so you get like a little taste of it, but I don't feel like you really get to explore it in, in a novella, which I think is kind of maybe the frustration that we feel with it, Virginia, is that I want to spend so much more time there in, in the world and with the people. Liz, you have to answer that question too. I, I, you know what? As the tiebreaker, I am totally on the side of Fiona and Sadie. I mean, yeah, I think you could all, all guess that because I'm hosting this episode. Um, but besides that, I mean, there is something to be said about somebody who can jump right in and throw you right into the story without having to slog through 100 pages before you wonder or decide if it's a good book or not. Like, let's just let's just cut to a chase. Like, I like to think of it like a great dessert. Sometimes it's not about quantity. It's about quality. I want to savor every single moment of it and have no regrets after. So, But you can equate a long book to a bad book, right? Just because it's a 500 page doesn't mean that every 100 pages is a slog. Like, you know, if it's a good book, then it should every single page when it's a 500, all yeah. the 500 pages should count. I agree. And They're not mutually exclusive. But like, like you were saying, there's something to be said about the art, the craft of being able to have 100 to 200 pages that are all excellent. And the and the craft for writing a 500 page that are all equally mesmerizing, still a craft. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I feel like, you know, because you have less space to work with, it's, it's kind of tough. Less but space again, by your own choice. Again, we're not writers. We're just like, we're in so... What we can tell you, however, let's end this episode on an uptick. I think we can all agree that we each found a novella that we all enjoyed and we do want to share with everybody. Come on, Corinne. You found one, didn't you? I think yes, you I found one. Liz, oh, do you right. argue that it should have been a novel? Yes. Okay, yes, well, <laughs> there's room for growth. See, it had a great start. It's got great potential. And who knows, maybe one day you will get your wish. I will not. I checked her website. But anyways. Okay. Well, with that, why don't we start with Corrine? And you can share this wonderful book that you wish was a full-blown novel. 
I do. I do. And I'm not alone in asking it because it was an FAQ on her website. <laughs> oh, are you going to write more stuff about this? No. Or maybe. Um, yeah. So um, this was a bit of a tricky choice because, again, Virginia and I are big fans of the tour novels. So I ended up choosing, choosing this particular title for two reasons. One is that I am a huge fan of Zen Cho who is a uh, UK-based Malaysian writer who writes a lot of speculative fiction, who writes fantasy. Um, I really, really, really loved her first two books, which were uh, Sorcerer to the Crown and The True Queen, which are kind of Georgette Hare meets Diana Wynne-Jones meets Regency fantasy meets bossy supernatural Asian aunties, as she describes her writing. Um, I thought they were fun and fresh, and I just, I, I pick up everything that she puts out. So when she came out with this novella through Tor, I greedily picked it up and kind of devoured it. And then the second reason why I chose this one in particular is because over like the quarantine, needed something to watch, needed something with a lot of episodes, and I fell into an obsession with the Chinese drama The Untamed. I love that show. I loved it so much. 50 episodes went by in no time. No time. Um, so it is a wuxia uh, so kind of like a Chinese fantasy. There is like martial arts fighting. There's a little bit of magic. Um, and I really, really, really enjoyed that series. And I was kind of looking for something that was in the same vein as that. And I ended up stumbling upon the Order of the Pure Moon Reflected in Water. So this is a story about a bandit who walks into a coffee house and then all hell breaks loose. It is a fantasy that is kind of loosely based on the Malayan emergency period. Um, so it has a lot to do with um, invasions and bandits and political machinations, but it is really about this group of bandits, of thieves, a very, very sneaky nun, and it is really about kind of found family and a crisis of faith and kind of finding your people in a difficult time. So if you're looking for just a perfect little uh, slice of fantasy, um, you can definitely check out Order of the Pure Moon Reflected in Water. Thank you very much, Corinne. That, that sounds really interesting. Um, or you can watch The Untamed. It's 50 episodes and it's fantastic. Again, novella, shorter commitment, get my feet wet. You're you know, a type of person who like enjoys movies over TV series, Liz. I can tell. Actually, no, but I think that's a topic for a future episode, maybe, that we might dabble in. Spoiler alert. Now, Sadie, uh, you've got a book, a novella, by an author that I know several of us have really enjoyed. What do you have for us today? Mm -hmm. So this book, I believe that um, Corrine has spoken about another book by this author on the book chat. As I mentioned at the beginning, my experience with novellas up to this point had been gaps in series and filling in other series that I have had already written. But I wanted something for this book chat that I could recommend that did not require that commitment to already be engaged with the series uh, in order to read something to already kind of know the story and the characters. So I just kind of went searching online and through websites to see what fantasy novellas were out there. I know I wanted something in the fantasy genre, so I just kind of did some searches and I found The Black God's Drums by P.J. Clark. 
And it is a alternative history story uh, that takes place in New Orleans during the American Civil War. And it's sort of a steampunk uh, version. There's airships that kind of fly in and out of the city. Uh, it takes place in a world where Haiti is a very strong political power. They have worked to sort of get rid of slavery as well as rise to this really strong power in the world. And the story revolves around Creeper, who is a 13-year-old orphan. And one day she is hiding in her alcove where she sleeps and a group of Confederates come and start talking. And she overhears that they have a plan to smuggle in a doctor from Haiti and trade him for a jewel for what's something that's called the Black God's Drums. Right away, Creeper knows what this is. She's heard the stories of the Black God's Drums. Um, she knows that this piece of information is very, very important. So she decides that she's going to take this piece of information and trade it. Trade it with someone that she knows can give her what she wants. And what she wants is to get out of New Orleans. Three years ago, her mother passed away. Years before that, her father did. She doesn't have anything keeping her in New Orleans any longer. She wants to see the world. She wants to get on an airship and she wants to go. So she decides that she's going to approach the captain of one of these airships, Anne-Marie, and trade this information with her. Now, there's a little bit of a catch with this and a little bit of a secret that Creeper has that she doesn't tell anyone either. She has a goddess or an Orisha living inside of her and communicating with her, the, the Orisha Oya. And Oya will sometimes send her visions. Oya will protect her when somebody is trying to harm her. And right around the time that she hears this conversation, Oya sends her a vision of a black skull. It's lighting up the sky and she has no idea what it is. It's terrifying, but she doesn't know what it is. So she kind of brushes it off and decides, nope, I'm going to take this information and I'm going to trade it with Anne-Marie. So she goes and she finds Anne-Marie and she approaches her and she tells her this information. Anne-Marie is not 100% sure that she can trust her, but uh, decides to believe her and kind of take her on to show her where this person is and to get the information and get this Haitian doctor back so that he does not trade the Black God's drums. When they go to meet the doctor, they are attacked by someone who they don't know who they are. People are shot, people are killed, and the doctor is taken away. So they now have to figure out a way to get the doctor and to get the Black God's drums out of his hands before he trades it to the Confederates and this mysterious group that they don't know about. Uh, so it was a very compelling book. I actually listened to this as an audiobook. It was narrated by Chani Waits. And this was the very first time that I have listened to a fictional audiobook. I've only ever listened to nonfiction up to this point. It was interesting. I, I think I prefer nonfiction as audiobooks. I, it took me a while to kind of get into the perspective of it when it's being written and being read, having the narrator be the narrator and the characters and yeah, so it was an interesting perspective to get used to. Um, it took me a little while to get used to the way that the the reader read it as well. And there was a few things that I, knowing kind of how I would read it in my head, it was different. But it was a really quick listen. It was a really compelling listen. 
Um, so yeah, I would recommend if anyone is looking for a short but compelling story, um, which I did find wrapped up in the end. And while I can see it having a sequel, I don't necessarily see it in, it, in and of itself needing to be extended. Uh, so that was The Black God's Drums by P.J. Lay Clark. Thank you, Sadie, for featuring a great, great, great author. Now, Virginia, uh, I know you've read Clark before, but I believe you have another author's novella for us today. Yes, I do. And it is also a Tor.com novella. They are just so good. And the one that I pick, one of the reasons why I chose it is because it is a series because there are more novellas just like what Corinne and I wanted. And there are four books so far. And maybe, maybe they will write more, hoping that they would because it is such an interesting world. So the one that I have for you today is Neon Yang's The Black Tides of Heaven. Now, just an FYI that the author has changed their name, so the library edition might have a different name on it. So this is a fantasy series, like I said, and it is set in the Empire of the Protectorate. It is ruled by the Protector, who is this Empress, kind of like a dictator, no dissent, no disobedience. Her word is the final kind of ruler and when the story starts they have just like squashed and eliminated another bunch of rebels because of course people don't really like the way she runs things so there's a lot of rebellions going on but they just eliminated another bunch of rebels with the help of the local monastery and in exchange for the help she has promised to send one of her children to the monastery to live there and to be trained now, the head abbot asked for that because he knows that her youngest child, Sonami, would really like to live in the monastery and learn their craft. So he's kind of asking on his behalf. But a year has passed since the rebellion and she has not fulfilled her side of the bargain. And it's not like you could go up to the protector and say, hey, you owe me because you don't just don't do that. So there's nothing much she could do but wait. Finally, after almost a year, he has been summoned to walk those 800 steps to go all the way up to her palace to see her. And hopefully she's going to give Tsunami to, over to the monastery. So when he got there, he met Tsunami at the doors and Tsunami didn't look very happy. And he's like, well, it's your big day, you know. Why do you look like that? And so Nami's like, I guess you haven't heard. Well, you should have been more specific. And the head abbot is like, what do you mean? And as he was pondering what Tsunami means, he heard crying, a baby crying. And that's when it dawned on him that that's why. That's why nobody has seen the protector for almost a year. That's why there's all these rumors going on that she's sick or that she's gone away or she might have even died. No, none of those were true. She went and got herself pregnant and had a baby just so that she does not have to give Tsunami over. Still fulfill the bargain, but give a completely different children over to the monastery. So, of course, deal was a deal. There's not much he could do. So he went inside, met with the protector, and the protector said, oh, there you are. I am ready to give you one of my child. And 
Don't say that I'm not grateful for your help because instead of just giving you one child, I am giving you two because she has given birth to twins. So now the monastery and the head abbot had two babies that he will have to deal with that cannot be trained until they're much, much older. And he was hoping that he could train Tsunami and then in a few years, Tsunami will take over the monastery and then, you know, he could retire. But that's going to have to wait. But it turns out the twins, they have some unusual abilities. They are Akeha and Mokoya. And Mokoya can actually see into the future. She gets visions of the future. She's sort of like a prophet. And that is super rare in the world. And not only that, as far as they can tell, anything that she sees comes true. And they have sort of tested this out. And, and they're still trying to keep this secret. They, they don't really want anyone to know because... They know that the minute that their mom find out that Mokoya has this gift, she's going to want them back. Not both of them, just Mokoya. Because Akeha has always been sort of the extra. It's the twin that shouldn't be. Like, they, she, like she didn't expect that she was going to have twins. So it's only going to be Mokoya that she wants back. And of course, the two of them have been inseparable since birth they don't want to they don't want to live apart and so they're trying to keep the secret however the latest vision that they received is something of a disaster a horrible thing is going to happen at the festival that is coming up in 2 weeks and they know that if they don't tell someone then a lot of people is going to get hurt. So they have to reveal the secret. They can't take care of this by themselves. So now they have to come to a decision. Like, should they tell the head abbot that Mokoya has this gift? But if they do, then the word is going to go to their mom and now they're going to be separated. So they're trying to figure out what to do. This novella, as I said, is a beautifully written story about families, about the bonds of families, about forgiveness, about identity, especially for the twins, because a lot of times people see twins, they think of them as like a unit, right? So for both of them to have to figure out their paths, their, you know, and have to get to a point where they know that the, their roles are going to diverge, they know that they're going to have to find their own ways to, you know, find their own identity. And that is tricky for both of them. Um, Neon Yan has also set it in a world where you don't have to declare your gender until much later in life, or maybe you don't have to at all. So again, that becomes sort of a, a tension point for both of them because they they kind of, as they grow up, they started to think differently. At first, they promised each other they would never get confirmed. They would never declare their gender. But as they grew up, they, they find out that they have different feelings about it. So now that's another thing for them to kind of have to figure out for themselves. So it's a really interesting story, like a lot of exploration about sort of that identity and as we talk about novella earlier this I feel does feel like a complete kind of novella um, not only was it like really very much about the characters but it is still a fantasy and there's a lot of world building that happens and I didn't even talk about those but the world building is is great because you can you can see how Neon Yang knows exactly what their world is like they know how everything works in their world. They know how the magic works. They know how the technology works. So they feel very comfortable just dropping us and dropping the characters right into the book. 
and we're going to figure out, we're going to like, as we read the book, we're going to figure out sort of the bits and pieces of how this world function, that is how it's different from our world, and that it doesn't require these long expositions to explain the magic system because it's just so weave into the story like so naturally and and we feel like that I know sort of this well and of course it helps also that there are more in the series so that's great but yeah like a really great character driven story and this is like one of those books that at one point something happened off the page and for the first time in my reading life I shut the book and I'm like "Uh uh-uh no that is not happening I don't want that to happen this cannot be. And I just in complete denial and I had to shut the book and wait a day, even though as much as I want to continue reading the book, I couldn't because it was just, it, it, it made such an impact, you know, to, to the readers, to the characters. And I just, I didn't realize how invested I was in the story until that point. And I just, I couldn't deal with it. And I have to come back the next day because it was just, it was too much. Right. And so Really, really immersive story. I think you really enjoy this. Again, it is Black Ties of Heaven by Neon Yang. It's on my list. It's added. Yeah, mine too. Sounds like it's I'll get right on it, finishing them to return them. <laughs> yes, please. This could be it. This could be the book we all like. We're still looking for that one book that all five of us go, that's amazing. It's like it's like a unicorn or or a Sasquatch. One day we'll find it. We'll, sh- we'll see. <laughs> all right, Fiona, maybe you have a book that we will all gravitate to. What do you think? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I can convince everyone of this. Uh, um, it's a little bit niche and maybe not all of your niches, but I'm really excited about it. Um, so actually, uh, this was a challenge for me. I had some trouble finding a book uh and in the end i ended up just scouring the shelves and looking for thin volumes which was really fun because i usually do a lot of my research online um and i did some in advance but then i couldn't find you know like things that were available at the time i tried quite a few things and i just didn't enjoy them so in the end i just went and pulled a bunch of things off the shelf that looked interesting so as a result i have a not so timely book uh it's about 10 years old but it was um, I, the word I would use is amusing. It was deeply amusing. I really, it uh, added a lot to my weekend. It is The Tiny Wife by Andrew Kaufman. And it's Canadian. <laughs> um, and I think I read the author's bio um, when I picked it up right away, and I just immediately knew I was going to appreciate his humor. It says, Andrew Kaufman was born in the town of Wingham, Ontario. This is the same town that Alice Monroe was born in which makes him the second best writer from a town of 3,000. Yeah, that made me giggle. And his sense of humor definitely stayed strong throughout. So the conceit of this novel, there is a bank robbery, but it is not your average bank robbery. A man in a purple plume hat comes into the bank, makes everyone line up and give them their most sentimental item on them. So framed photos are given, watches passed down from parents, um, letters saying that someone has gotten a promotion, things like that. And the robber warns that there will be consequences from taking these items. They ask him why he's doing this and he says it simply has to be. There's no choice. I have to do this. And 
The uh, book is narrated by the husband of one of the victims. So uh, throughout, stories of the consequences of each of the victim are strung throughout as told by the wife to the husband to us. It's kind of a bunch of tiny, tiny and bizarre stories woven together. The things that happen to people, um, some of them seem like they are metaphorical, others are just bizarre. One woman finds God under her couch, takes him to the dry cleaner, uh, gets him washed up because he's quite dirty from all of the lint, and while God is not very impressed with her and leaves, she happily spends the rest of her life trying to find God again. Another man comes home to find that his baby is now pooping money. Um, and it solves all of the problems. <laughs> Karina's is just so not here for this. However, when the baby gets ill, they have to decide whether it's more important to have the money or the health of their child. So some of those are easy to follow through. And again, others are just bizarre. The narrator's wife actually begins to shrink incrementally, which is why it's called The Tiny Wife. And my personal favorite story is of the man whose mother divides into 98 mothers, all of whom are 98% of the size of the original mother. So just these little things that go through and just like gave me a smile and a laugh and a what is this person thinking? But in the end, it actually uh, is quite an affirming and lovely uh, novella about marriage. So if you need something to pick up your day, you can finish it in a pretty short period of time. I'm certainly going to check out some more of Andrew Kaufman's work because I really enjoyed his humor. That sounds amazing. It sounds wonderful. Oh my God. That sounds so good. The novella we all need today. And it's CanCon. CanCon? And it's 108 pages. So, like, it's so short. <laughs> you could read it. So <laughs> that sounds great. Thanks for sharing that with us, Fiona. Okay, well, I guess I'm the last one here, and I have a different novella for you. Not quite as lighthearted, unfortunately, but one that I think is entertaining in its own merit. Now, this one is called Upright Women Wanted by Sarah Gailey, who wrote Magic for Liars. I mentioned this as one of my uh, honorable mentions um, during our top picks of 2020 episode. This novella takes place in a time period that seems to be not far off from the one in which we currently live. However, the world looks very different than it does now. It's, it's one that's bleak, it's one that's regressed, it's a, it's a society that is oppressive and is ravaged by wars that keep continuing. Even basics like that we take for granted right now, like electricity and schooling, those have all been scaled back and people are living more simple lives. In fact, the lives that they live look very much like the, the times of the Old West, so essentially, Upright Women Wanted is a Western, kind of a modern day Western, but with norms and um, patriarchal views that perhaps um, should have just stayed in the past. Now, one of the great appeals of Upright Women Wanted is it takes this 
past view and brings in all of these progressive ideas. And I don't even like to call them progressive because these are things that should just be accepted in our world today. And, and by placing this story in a Western time period or environment, I think really hits home. The, our protagonist is Esther, and she is running away from her arranged marriage. Her fiancé was previously engaged to her best friend. Now, sadly, her best friend was hanged for crimes against the state of being a dissident, and Esther is heartbroken, not just because uh, Beatrice was her best friend, but because she was also her first love. Now, in this oppressive society, homosexuality is a crime. There are so many things in the society that are a crime, and any views that oppose those sanctioned by the state are offensible, and you could be executed for them, as Beatrice was. So Esther has run away, and she decides to take refuge in a covered wagon, so just like in the Old West, and this wagon happens to belong to the librarians, and that's librarians with a capital L. Now, this small band of women, uh, they travel from town to town, and they distribute materials such as books and pamphlets that are state-approved. So state-approved materials that have been vetted and screened, essentially propaganda. However, little does Esther know that these librarians are not who they seem to be. Now, they are actually acting entirely in opposition to the state. They are subverting what the state is doing under the guise of distributing those state-approved materials. So this is a story about fighting against a society that perhaps views you as not normal. It's about coming to terms with your identity after being told for your entire life that your views, your thoughts, uh, your lifestyle, who you love is not right. Uh, and it's, it's about the character's reconciliation uh, and coming to terms with herself uh, and being, being comfortable with herself and with these librarians around her who not only aren't who they seem to be in terms of occupation, but also uh, aren't who they present themselves to be uh, as members of society and who, just who they are at their very core. So I won't, I won't quite give away um, what happens to Esther other than it's a great adventure as she seeks to find herself and also to find refuge in a place where she can be accepted and live the lifestyle that she feels is right for her. So that's Upright Women Wanted by Sarah Gailey. I didn't actually know that one was a novella. I have that on my to-read list, but I didn't realize. Excellent. Maybe that is the book that we can all <laughs> agree on as a magical book that is so... Okay, I see Virginia already already doing that. But anyways, those are our top picks for novellas for you today. So regardless of our personal opinions, I think we can all agree that there are some good novellas out there. Absolutely. Okay, yeah. 
All right, let's let's agree for that and then agree to disagree on all the rest. So we thank you everybody for joining us for today's episode of Keep It Fictional presented by the Port Moody Public Library. We hope you'll join us for some future episodes as we talk more books, maybe not novellas, talk more books, discuss, debate, and share our deeply divided and sometimes united opinions on said books. Thanks, everybody, and we'll catch you again soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please tell a fellow book lover about it. You can find a list of all the books we discussed in our show notes. Join us next week for another fun book chat. Until then, keep it fictional. Mm -hmm.